Hey, it's Brian Curtis from The Ringer, and I want to tell you about the Press Box podcast. The Press Box is a podcast for anybody who likes news, whether it's about sports or politics or pop culture, and wants to understand how that news really gets made. We have new shows every Monday and Thursday. We have long interviews with everyone from John Krakauer to Joe Buck. Your social media feeds are bursting with information every day. Let us help you sort it out. Join us on the Press Box. It's Off the Pike, presented by FanDuel. April showers bring a loaded sports calendar, and FanDuel is the place to bet on it all. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub. Filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page. Plus, start betting on the Explore page in the Pulse and get paid instantly when you win. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of this episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. Welcome into Off the Pike. I'm Brian Barrett. We are recording Sunday evening after the Celtics just destroyed the Golden State Warriors at the Garden. What an absolute beatdown. 140 to 88. 140 to 88. This game was over at halftime, really, quite frankly, before halftime. The Warriors didn't even bring their guys back out for the second half. Steph Curry's hanging out of the bench. I know Klay Thompson was dealing with a little bit of an injury there. Draymond Green doesn't play in the second half. And the Celtics, of course... They pull their guys, what, like five minutes into the third quarter of the game. It's just an epic beatdown. So I do want to get into that in just a second. But I also am going to get into some Patriots stuff. Just some things that came out of the combine that have me interested. Stuff that was said there, stuff that was reported, and some performances from a couple of guys that the Celtics could have their eyes on. So I want to get on into all that as well. But let's start with that. The 44, or let's start with the Celtics, I should say. The 44-point first half lead was the biggest in the history of the franchise, okay? This isn't the Charlotte Hornets, right? This is the Celtics, one of the great franchises in the history of sports. And this today was the largest lead at halftime they've ever had. Just amazing to just sort of think about that. They entered the day, the Celtics did, seventh in all-time net rating. That means how much you're outscoring your opponents by one... 100 possessions, right? The Celtics ended the day with a plus 10.9. That's going to get over 11 after this win today. The only teams in NBA history with a net rating north of 11, the 95-96 Bulls, 
the 96-97 Bulls, the 16-17 Warriors, the 15-16 Spurs, the 07-08 Celts, and the 91-92 Bulls. Three of those teams had the greatest player of all time. That uh, Jordan guy was on three of those teams. The 16-17 Warriors, you could argue, are the most talented team in NBA history. And we're talking about Curry in his prime, Durant in his prime, and then, of course, Draymond Green and Clay Thompson. Just incredible to think about the type of company that this Celtics team is in historically right now. And by the way, this Warriors team they beat, and I know they were a little banged up, like I alluded to with Clay Thompson. They didn't have Pajemski in this game either. And Andrew Wiggins is not playing for them right now as he's away for the team dealing with a family situation. But the Warriors in their last 15 games, they were 12-3. and three. They had a 9 net rating, which is an amazing number. The Celtics smashed them. Like, this is a team that is sort of finding its groove right now. They had issues earlier on in the season. They came into the Garden, and the Celtics just annihilated them. And the Celtics didn't even have Kristaps Porzingis in this game, who has sort of become their cheat code, right? And they didn't even need Kristaps Porzingis in this game to beat this team by 50-plus points. And if you just go through this 10-game winning streak, that, or now 11-game winning streak after this one today, so prior to today, they had a 19.5 net rating. They were outscoring teams by almost 20 points per 100 possessions during the winning streak. It's just in a phenomenal number. OKC was second at 10.8. That's a larger gap between the Celtics and OKC than the Thunder and the Magic. The Magic are 12th during that stretch, okay? They had a 127.9 offensive rating entering this game today during the winning streak. First in the NBA, obviously. Second, OKC at 121. It's almost the same gap from OKC to New Orleans. The Pelicans are 14th. That's how much better the Celtics have been than everybody else in the NBA during this stretch. They came into this game outscoring teams during the winning streak by 191 points. The closest team was Minnesota at 112, so what, 79 points. So the Celtics after this one, what, plus 243 in 11 games. That is like asinine stuff. I mean, it's unbelievable. It's ridiculous. So I just want to, before I get in, because there's not a ton of specifics to get into with this game. I do have a few that I want to get to. But I'm just really enjoying the ride with this team now. Like, I sit back and I just have a lot of fun watching them. I thought Friday night was an awesome game against Luka and Kyrie. We'll get to that in a second here. But I think about the great teams we've had here locally. Obviously, I can't go back to the teams in the 80s with the Celtics. I wasn't alive to watch those teams with Bird, etc. But I think just in recent Boston sports history... We had that Bruins team last year that was awesome to watch during the regular season. They always found a way to win. They were incredible in the third period. They set the record for the most points, the most wins. That was a ton of fun. One of my all-time favorite teams is the 2018 Red Sox because that team, just having Mookie and JD in the, in the same lineup, you had a young Rafael Devers, best record in the history of the franchise. That team was a ton of fun to watch. And obviously, the one that comes to mind is the 2007 Patriots, right, when they first got Moss because... Remember, they were sort of hiding Moss. Like, nobody really knew what it was going to look like. We all thought it was going to be awesome, right? I mean, it's Randy Moss and Tom Brady. How could this not be unbelievable? But we really didn't know until we saw it. Because he didn't play in the preseason. First game against the Jets. It's like, whoa, this is going to be a fun season. And I know, like, with this Celtics team, the mission is to finish the job, right? Getting back to the NBA Finals and winning it this time. I get all that. And this season is not going to mean as much if they don't win a championship. I totally understand that. But I just think we have to sit back and enjoy the brand of basketball they're playing right now because they are absolutely running over the NBA. And these guys really do have a chance to have this incredible legacy 
They're an all-time great team by the numbers. I just read you off a couple of them. If they finish this, they win the championship with the way they play, this team is going to have a special spot in Boston sports history. And just this, like you think about how glued and connected this team is. There was a play in the first quarter of this game where Kavon Looney caught the ball on the roll and they basically blitzed Curry to get rid of it. So Looney rolls and you, the Celtics don't blitz a lot of guys, but they put two to the ball. Looney had an advantage rolling. Drew was covering the shooter in the corner and he was already there right when Holiday made the catch or right when Looney made the catch. So Drew's right there. I mean, this is like, they play so hard every game. Like Drew is completely dialed into what he's doing. He sees this happening on the left wing. He's in the other corner, sprints over, gets in front of Looney. Looney can't do anything when he makes the catch. But it's just those like little things all the time that shows you sort of the effort that this team is playing with right now. It's just, it's a special, special group. And I know like last year we're all disappointed with how it ended with the Bruins. And certainly we're going to have that if the Celtics don't win at all. But this has just been, it's been fun to watch. I mean, that was awesome. From a fan's perspective, that was heartbroken when the Celtics, of course, lost to the Golden State Warriors and Curry is doing his night-night celebration. It was nice to see sort of the Celtics, it's not revenge because they don't have a championship yet, but it was nice to see them sort of exercise their demons against the Warriors. Because remember, going back to last year, they lost the second meeting right before Christmas. I think it was the 10th of December. And then this year, they lost that game. They blew that game earlier this season, right? And I do like the fact that if you think about Jalen Brown right now, he just wants to destroy guys. He takes on the Steph matchup. And I thought right away when they had Jalen on Steph, perfect. I love this. When Jalen is dialed in as a one-on-one defender, he can defend at an incredibly high level. And the thing about Steph Curry, I was listening to Andre Iguodala on Rosillo's podcast last week. And Andre Iguodala says, when there is a guy the same size as Steph, he knows he's going to get 30 points. That's what he said. Anytime you cover him with a 6'3", 6'4 guy, Steph's going to get his, right? So you need to, and look, he can still get a shot off over a 6'7 guy, right? Like we know how talented Steph is, but you need to defend Steph with size. So when Missoula, like they come out and it's Jalen on Steph Curry, that's the matchup you want. And you love to see that, that Jalen's like, okay, let me take on this matchup. I love that. And it really, this team, it's a mission that everybody's on board. And I know you can say, oh, Brian, most teams are like that. Not really. I mean, think about two years ago when the Celtics made the finals. Tatum and Jalen sort of just establishing themselves as like super, in the case of Tatum, as a superstar. Derek White had just gotten here. He wasn't even starting. Ime did not have faith in him at times during the postseason where he'd be playing Pritchard over him at times. Marcus was the biggest voice in the room. And now they're also, if you think about it, they're a season removed from the Ime situation. Joe has his own staff when we're talking about Cassell, when we're talking about Charles Lee. So there's no questions about who's the head coach, who his assistants are, none of that, right? And even last year, think about this. We can almost forget it now because Jalen has the Supermax. But remember, Jalen last year was playing for a contract. And remember, we're not too far removed. We're like a year removed from him doing that article that sit down with Logan Murdoch at the ringer where he was talking about the fact well how long am I going to be here he was asked about being here long term and he said I don't know as long as I'm needed it's not up to me we'll see how they feel about that over time remember this is a guy that was on the block multiple times when we're going back to Paul George Kawhi Leonard right like all these deals that could have happened as recently as Kevin Durant remember In that article, Jalen told Logan that he got on a three-way call 
with Jason Tatum and Brad Stevens because he said to Logan in the article, Katie and JT are friends. They were working out together and whatnot. So I wasn't sure what the energy was. So he wasn't sure about the energy going into last season. Like what was going to happen with this Durant situation? He had to hop on the phone with Jason Tatum and Brad Stevens, right? And he literally, on Friday, after the Dallas game, they were asked about, or he was asked about if he's doing anything for Tatum's 26th birthday. He said he doesn't have to do anything for him. But he literally said that it's an honor to play with Tatum. So we're about a year removed, as I alluded to, from Jalen wondering what his future with the organization is, to him saying playing with Jason Tatum is an honor. So you just think about all the different things that were going on last year with the coaching staff, Joe's first year, Jalen's future, Marcus closing out games. Remember how we were ripping our hair out, looking at it and saying, why isn't Derek White in the court? And now we're in a spot where everybody's pulling the rope in the same direction. And I do feel like specifically with Tatum and Jalen, this is now their seventh season together. They've been put under a microscope, right? And a lot of it has to do with the early success they've had but then the failure that they've had in the finals, in the Eastern Conference Finals, right? And this game, I referenced Jalen earlier, like taking on this Steph matchup. He said at halftime, right, <laughs> that this game was important to them because the Warriors got them in the finals a couple of years ago. So any sort of motivation you can take onto the court, and that's an easy one, but any sort of motivation you can generate on a daily basis when you're playing in the NBA is huge. And this is not like manufactured motivation. This is actually real. And one of the things that stuck out to me is you could tell Tatum and Jalen both wanted to beat the Warriors badly today because there was this moment in the first quarter where, or I should say in the second quarter, in the first half, where on one possession, Tatum had Steph. He stones him. Steph takes a bad shot. He's trying to get by Tatum. He can't do it. So Tatum forces him into a bad shot. The next possession, Jalen's covering Steph and he forces Steph after he deflected the ball away from Steph, he forces Steph into a backcourt violation. So this is the type of matchup that these guys take personally, right? And you think about the whole team. Porzingis is playing in a relevant market on a relevant team, which he hasn't in a long time. Al Horford trying to get sort of the final trophy for his mantle. He's won the national championships at the collegiate level. He's been an all-NBA, or he's been an all-star. He's been a great pro. This is sort of the last thing that he's trying to accomplish in his career. White finally gets to be the point guard of this team and play all the clutch minutes, and he's been one of the most efficient fourth-quarter scorers in the NBA this season. Drew getting revenge after Milwaukee decided, you know what, even though you were the second-best player and we won a championship, even though you're a lockdown defender, we think you're the problem. We got to move on from you and bring in a guy like Damian Lillard. He wants his revenge. And this team, they just don't take games off because they have that motivation. They all know what they're going for. Last year... I don't think those questions were so easy, right? Where it's like Jalen has a lot in his mind because he doesn't know the, his future with the organization. And he doesn't know if he's going to get the Supermax or not, right? He doesn't know if he's going to qualify. He's going to make all NBA. So there's just a lot of questions. Missoula, what's his future? Because remember, at first he was the interim coach. Who's going to be here on the coaching staff? So it just seems like everything is sort of... And look, this team made it one game away from the finals with all the issues they had last year. And now it just seems like everybody's on the same page. They just right now... They don't take games off. And I thought after they come off the impressive win over Dallas on Friday, and then you come out today with that type of energy, it's impressive. They ended, what, the first quarter on a 23-1 to run. They were, or the first half, I should say. They were in the first quarter, or first quarter they ended on a 23-1 run, I should say. 
First quarter, 16 of 28, 57.1%. 10 of 16 from deep, 62.5%. 44 points, 27 possessions. So that's a 163 offensive rating. The first half, they shot 60%, 62.5% from three. On 51 possessions, they scored 82 points, a 160.8 offensive rating. Just unheard of numbers. Tatum in the first half, 22 on 7 of 10 shooting. Jalen, who had the outstanding first quarter, 25 points on 9 of 16. He hit five threes, which I don't understand what Draymond was doing. Draymond was just letting Jalen shoot, which is like, okay, I get that Jalen's not the best three-point shooter in the world. If you look at his percentages, he came into this one like a shade below 35%. So he's certainly not a great three-point shooter by the percentages, but we all know that Jalen can get hot. And once he starts hitting him, I don't understand why they weren't defending him. They were letting Jalen shoot. Or were they worried that the Celtics are just so talented offensively? Like they're like, okay, we're willing to give up threes to Jalen. I mean, if that's the case, that just tells you they have like maybe too much respect for the Celtics. But I think Draymond literally was just, I don't think, we'll see. I I think that Draymond was just trying to sort of get in Jalen's head and Jalen's just like, okay, dude, I'm going to hit these open threes. And it was just like really easy for Jalen in this game where he got the three going early, then he got to his mid-range game as well. And as for Tatum, one of the things I loved about Tatum in this game, he just was attacking the basket. Kionis, that little dude who he's been playing for the Warriors lately, he got him in back-to-back possessions and he just went through them both times. And then I loved when he, they uh, the other side of the court defensively, he got matched up with Chris Paul and he blocked Chris Paul in a jump shot right? Like guys don't usually get their jump shot blocked by the guy that's defending them, right? Like actually Tatum did this to Kevin Durant in the postseason a couple of years ago. That usually doesn't happen. It's usually like if you get a jump shot blocked, it's usually somewhere, someone flying from a different part of the court where you don't see him coming. It's very rare. And I know that Jason Tatum has a lot of height, obviously, over Chris Paul, but it just sort of indicates that he couldn't get any separation away from Jason Tatum whatsoever. And he's able to just block his shot right in front of him. And he got the three-point shot going too, especially in the second quarter of this game where he had a couple of step backs on Saric and he had some nice drives, some typical Tatum drives that we've seen. One of the things that I was thinking about with Tatum for just to kind of put his career in context right now in terms of where he's at. So of of course, he turns 26 today. So this is his 25-year-old season though, right? So if you look at his 25-year-old season and you compare it to Kawhi Leonard, 27.1 points per game, 25.5 for for Kawhi, 47.6% from the field for Tatum. Kawhi's 48.5%, 8.5 rebounds for Tatum, 5.8 for Kawhi, 4.8 assists for Tatum, 3.5 assists for Kawhi. And then if you go back to last year's 24-year-old season, say, all right, compare that to Kevin Durant's 24-year-old season. 30.1 points per game, 28.1 points per game for Durant, 46.6% from the floor for Tatum. Durant's got him in the efficiency stats, 51% for Durant. But the rebounding, Tatum, 8.8. LeBron has never averaged 8.8, by the way. But Durant, 7.9 rebounds, Tatum, 8.8. Same amount of assists, 4.6 for each of them. So his 25-year-old season is better than Kawhi's. And his 24-year-old season was on par with Kevin Durant. So I think sometimes we sort of get caught up in where Jason Tatum's at in terms of his career. But we're now in a spot where... This is like his floor right now where he's at right now. This is his floor for like the next six to seven years because all his numbers, I get the raw numbers aren't there, but he's had a better season all around this year if you juxtapose it to last year. So at worst, this is what he is going forward. 
which is easily a top 10 player in the NBA. You can argue a top five player in the NBA. So so that's where we're at right now with Tatum. I did want to mention something too, like the other game against the Dallas Mavericks on Friday, one of the things they did, which I absolutely loved, they made Luka defend, okay? And the Mavericks, by the way, watched that game against the Sixers before the Celtics. They looked absolutely atrocious in that game. I mean, they had a chance late. They couldn't come all the way back, but you lose to the Sixers without Embiid. That was embarrassing. And the Mavericks, they have... They had this great stretch, like right after the trading deadline. They're kind of fading a bit here where they don't look like maybe the team that I personally thought they were going to be a lot better. Like after seeing them play a couple of times after the trades and you saw them blow out Oklahoma City, but they've come back down to earth. But anyway, like one of the things you saw on Friday was they went at Luka. So when Luka was guarding Jalen, he went four of six for 10 points. When he was guarding Drew, three of three for eight points. So they made an effort to make Luka work on the defensive end because we know how much energy he has to put into the offensive end, just basically running their whole entire offense, right? So you wear him down on that end. And the one thing that sort of aggravated me about that game is I don't really understand what Perk was trying to do at halftime. Perk said at halftime that essentially Luka was making a statement in Tatum's home. And he said, I got a problem with that. He mentioned the fact that Paul Pierce takes matchups personally. First of all, he wasn't guarding Luka the majority of the game, right? It was Jalen. But if you look at it, he said, Perk said that he's tracking mud all over his clean carpet, meaning Luka's coming to Tatum's house and he's like dirtying it up. Well, (laughs) the Celtics were winning at halftime. They were up by seven points. Yes, Luka had his numbers. He had 23. Tatum had 11, four and two. He wasn't dominating the game he was doing what the game dictated I I never understood why like he was so upset about this at halftime and the take that you would have in a game where the Celtics are on the way to win their 10th straight game Porzingis was awesome in the first half of that game he had hit what four threes in the first half I believe so why was the halftime show about Tatum needing to play better I don't think anybody watching the game Anybody in the building thought, you know what, you know what this, you know what we should be talking about right now? What is Tatum doing? Okay, his team's up seven. He's got 11-4-2, but what is he doing? Oh, I don't know. He's playing the game the right way. So to me, it's just a weird thing. And I'll also say this, like about Perk. Perk, the other day, (laughs) I'm watching the NBA show, um, the ESPN show, NBA Today. And Perk's talking about Wemby. And Wemby had this awesome triple-double, he did it with blocks. He had 10 blocks to get a triple-double, right? Which is just an amazing thing to think about, right? So Perk said that the last time somebody did that was in 1990, when it was David Robinson. The last rookie to do it was David's, David Robinson in 1990. And Perk said that was six years before he was born. So what? So so that would make Perk 12 years old when the Celtics won the title in 2008. I think he got the sixes confused. Perk was born in 1984, not 1996. I, I so I don't know. Like maybe I the Perk stuff at halftime. I just don't understand what he was doing. Like even today, he at halftime he said I was I was waiting for Tatum to get going there, and it's like dude, he had 22 points, but because Jalen got off to a hot start, what was Tatum supposed to do? Take shots away from Jalen? Jalen was getting wide open opportunities. So I don't know. I don't know what ta- what Perk's thing is with Tatum. Because it's weird. He thinks he's the MVP, which I disagree with. We've talked about it on the show. I don't think Tatum's the MVP. But, and he doesn't have a statistical argument, all that, blah, blah, blah. I don't want to get into this again. I talked about it the other day. But my point is, he thinks that he should be the MVP. And yet, 
he's playing the game the right way and he's got a problem with the way that he played in the first half against the Mavericks. Like, I don't know any Celtics fan or really anybody that watches basketball watched the first half of the game and had a problem with the way that Jason Tatum played. It just, I, it was bizarre to me. The other thing I mentioned too about just like the Mavericks stuff, they've really found a way to dominate Kyrie. So he was nine of 23, 39.1%. He was one of seven, 14.3%, 19 points. He, what, 23 shots to get 19 points, nine of 20 from the field in the first game, 45%. So better in that game, but on Friday, 39.1%. And I will say this, Kyrie Irving ruined the off the pike same game parlay, which it was five legs and we hit everything but Kyrie to get to 20 points. I mean, come on, man. I'm happy the Celtics won, but we had a plus 467 same game parlay on FanDuel that we gave out and Kyrie had to ruin it. So the one time like I'm hoping Kyrie can get like a couple of points at the end of the game, he can't do shit. Thanks for nothing, Kyrie, but unbelievable. But just a lot of fun watching this game today. Can't wait for this stretch to continue because of course you got Cleveland coming up and then the big one on Thursday, man. I am so hyped up for the Celtics Nuggets. You get a rematch of the game that we saw earlier this season, but the Celtics could not come through in crunch time. They lost that game 102 to 100. Jokic is playing at an insane level. He was awesome in that game Saturday night. He's been phenomenal. The Nuggets are playing really well right now, so I cannot wait for that game where it's sort of a measuring stick game for the Celtics team. All right, a lot more to get into. I do want to get to some of the stuff that came out of the NFL Combine. Patriots related. We'll do that next. College basketball season is heating up and FanDuel wants you to join in on the action. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets when your first $5 bet wins. That's $150 extra bucks to bet anything from point spreads to money line to who's going to win it all. And I'm looking at this Baylor-Texas game coming up on Monday night. I like Baylor in that game. They're six and a half point favorites. Impressive win over the weekend where they beat Kansas and This Baylor team's been playing really well. They took Houston to overtime about a week and a half ago, so I like Baylor to cover the six and a half against Texas. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to join. The app is easy to use. When you win, you'll get paid instantly. So visit FanDuel.com slash Pike and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit TheRinger.com slash RG. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Welcome back into Off the Pike. Okay, so a couple of things over the weekend at the NFL Combine. So Drake May talked about his meeting with the Patriots. He said, quote, I was really impressed with them. Coach Mayo, first I congratulated him. Anytime a new coach, it's a pretty cool experience. So just being in there, New England's obviously a great sports town. So I thought it went well. I think New England's a great spot. So first of all, who thinks of that? Like a guy coming into the NFL, he thinks, hey, I should congratulate this coach on getting his job. Like great stuff from Drake May there. I like that. Jaden Daniels. So this is interesting. He didn't work out, which we kind of knew that was going to happen. And part of the reason, which I do think this is kind of some leadership here. He said he wanted to wait for his pro day because then his teammates at LSU would get more exposure. So you like that. That's kind of a leadership thing, too. But the interesting thing is he also didn't get measured, which is odd to me, right? Because now he's going to, this stuff's going to happen at his pro day, but you wonder, like, is he waiting to put on more weight before he gets measured? Because right now, or I should say, if you go back to last year at the collegiate level, he came in at 210, which that's pretty small for an NFL quarterback. 
Drake May did get measured. 6'4", 223. That's about the same weight as Mahomes is 225. Stroud, by the way, is 6'3", 218. So May is a very big dude, okay? And Jordan Schultz also reported this, that executives loved May because, how about this, talking about like leadership, he took care of his offensive linemen in the NIL deals. And this is not a good North Carolina team, but he made sure like his offensive linemen got hooked up. That is leadership. I love hearing this stuff. So I do sort of worry about Daniel's weight because you look at guys that are involved in the run game. The one guy that is not big out of those guys is Lamar at 212, but Lamar doesn't get hit. Jaden Daniels will take hits. You saw that last year at LSU. Hurts is 223. Fields is 228. And Josh Allen is 237. Like, those are the guys we think about that run a lot. 210, I'm interested to see what he weighs in at. Because you want to be able to protect yourself. And if you're going to be 210 and take hits, that's going to be tough to do. So, and like, Lamar is the one guy. But like I said, I I don't think I've ever seen anybody get a clean shot on Lamar, right? And when he's running, like, yeah, sure, maybe when he's in the pocket, he'll get hit. But when he's actually running, I've never seen somebody get a clean I, I could be wrong. I'm just, like, thinking about when I watch the Ravens play. I never see him take a clean hit. Okay, so the more and more I look at it, the more and more it seems like May is the safer pick. Hearing this stuff about his leadership is obviously awesome. The size is great. The arm is off the charts. The off-the-platform stuff. I guess the only criticism was the hand size wasn't great, but happened to Joe Burrow, too. I think this has sort of... This May situation is kind of reminding me of Justin Herbert when he came out, where if you remember, Herbert, prior to the 2019 season, uh, college season, Herbert was thought to be the number one guy. And then obviously Burrow passes him because Burrow has this outstanding season. But even Tua, remember, went before Herbert. So Herbert, part of the issue was he's playing at Oregon. The offense was built around the run game and the offensive line, and he didn't look as good as he did the previous season, despite the numbers going up for Herbert. But May, all his numbers went down across the board. And it's interesting. It's like, because it was definitely May number two entering the season, right? And it doesn't feel like anybody's challenging Caleb Williams for the number one spot. But now all of a sudden, it's like there's been some momentum with Jaden Daniels. I actually do think after the combine that's swinging back towards May. But if you look at his season, right? Tez Walker, his best receiver, only plays in eight games, missed the beginning of the season. Some sort of NCAA thing. I forget exactly what it was, but that was not a good North Carolina team. So the more and more you look at this, the more and more it makes sense that he's going to be going number two. It just feels like that's the safer pick. And I do think because he had the bad season at North Carolina for him and the team was not good, that people are sort of dissecting Drake May and overthinking it. It's like, you see him play, you know this guy's a franchise-level NFL quarterback, right? So... I think now the closer we get to it, teams are going to get back on board and be like, oh, I get it. Like, this is draft stuff. This is what we do. But this is the guy to go number two. So what I believe is going to happen now is Daniels is going to fall to number three. Callahan and Doug, uh, Callahan and Doug Hyde late last week reported that one front office source views all three of the top quarterbacks in this year's class as worthy of the third pick. So the Patriots, and we keep going over this, they're going to take a quarterback at three. So things have sort of been pointing in this direction. So here's the challenge with Jaden Daniels. I told you that I really like his running ability, right? Because it can elevate the floor. But this will be a challenge for the Patriots coaching staff, right? You're going to have to create an offense that incorporates his running ability, obviously. And you need to take advantage of that, right? Like you need to showcase that skill set if you have Jaden Daniels in this hypothetical that I'm presenting. And look, this is not me critiquing 
Jaden Daniels. I've told you a million times, I really like him. I do think also, like, this can help with his overall development as a passer because you can get away with some stuff with your legs as you develop as a passer, right? Because when you have that ability to run, your floor gets elevated. Like, think about Josh Allen, for example. Year two, he only completed 58% of his passes. He threw for just 193 yards a game. Yet the Bills go 10 and 6, and he, th- and he runs for nine touchdowns. So his legs really helped him early in his career as he developed as a passer. And I'm not saying that Jaden Daniels has a ton of development to do, but it's different going to the NFL level, right? And eventually, Josh Allen, as we all know, became one of the best passers in the NFL. Jalen Hurts, year two. First full year as a starter, completed 61% of his passes, just 200, 209 yards a game. So like the passing numbers were not great. But he added 52 yards a game on the ground and ran for 10 touchdowns. So it can help you be a competent offense when you're still developing as a player, right? So early on, the run game can help the offense, can help the quarterback develop. And I do think with this team in particular, they're going to need that element in terms of the offense, in terms of what they're going to have to do every Sunday, because they don't have that explosive element in terms of their receivers, their playmakers right now on paper. So they are going to have to dig into that run game a lot. I'm just interested to see, like I said, his pro day, what the weight's going to be, what the 40's going to be. And we had some intel from Mass Live in terms of what's been going on with the Patriots in terms of what they're looking to add potentially in this offseason. But I just, this was my thought before I move on to this intel stuff from Mass Live. My thought was, the more and more you hear from the stuff coming out of the Combine, and when Drake May gets up there and he's 6'4", 223, it just feels like he's going to go too. And the Patriots are going to get Jaden Daniels, which, like I said, <laughs> I like Jaden Daniels a lot. I'm just, I'm starting to like think about this from a practical standpoint. I don't think Washington doesn't take Drake May at this point. But anyway, so I wanted to get to this, some intel from Mass Live. So Mark Daniels, Chris Mason, Karen Gregan had an article up on Sunday. So... They said that the Patriots want to bring Hunter Henry back, but they're far apart on an extension. A name to watch out for is Austin Hooper, okay? The Pats also want to bring back Kendrick Bourne, but the two sides aren't seeing eye-to-eye on market value. So they mentioned the receivers, like Mike Evans, agent says he wants to go to a contender, so he's not coming to the Patriots. I'm predicting he goes to Houston. We'll see. There is also speculation, they say, that Michael Pittman and Kelvin Ridley could stay with their teams, okay? So that market may not be as good as it originally appeared in terms of the receivers. So they mentioned a guy like Noah Brown. So think about it. So you got Austin Hooper and Noah Brown in the reporting from Mass Live, guys to keep your eye out on for. So Austin Hooper had just two seasons north of 40 yards per game. He only had 234 receiving yards last season. Hunter Henry, not a big season. Of course, he was dealing with an injury. And he was overpaid. I acknowledge that. But it feels like Austin Hooper... Going from Henry to Hooper, I should say, seems kind of like a downgrade. Henry did have nine touchdowns in 2021 and six last season. Austin Hooper had five touchdowns in the last three seasons, and he didn't have one last year. So that's not exactly an upgrade on Hunter Henry if you're moving on from Henry and you can't get a contract done with him and you're going after a guy like Austin Hooper, if that is the case, right? And then you look at Noah Brown. He had a couple of big games. 7 for 172 against the Bengals, 6 for 153 against the Bucks. Like, he had some massive games. But you think about it, Kendrick Bourne is coming off a career-high 50 receiving yards per game. He was 47 in 2021 before, of course, the doghouse year of 2022. 
and he averaged 4.6 receptions per game last season. He was by far the Patriots' best receiver. So sure, maybe there's some upside with Noah Brown, although he's only a year younger than Kendrick Bourne. But Kendrick Bourne has been a better player, and you know him, he's been in your organization. So look, they can certainly improve in the draft, but in terms of known entities, I didn't really even think this was remotely possible before now, like thinking through the receivers are going to be available. But let's go with the assumption that they don't get any of these premier guys, that Pittman goes back to Indy, that Mike Evans either stays with Tampa or he goes to Houston somewhere else, but he's not coming to the Patriots. So let's assume they don't get one of the premier guys. Are you going to upgrade over Kendrick Bourne? I don't think so. And if it is a guy like Noah Brown, that's not an upgrade. Austin Hooper is not an upgrade over a guy like Hunter Henry. And I'm not even a huge Hunter Henry guy. But I'm just saying that right now you look at this thing. Could the Patriots receiving core actually look worse than it did a year ago, right? And we've heard all about this new value system the Patriots are implementing, right? But in terms of the draft, right, that's a draft thing. That's not a NFL thing. That's not a NFL scouting thing, that is actually evaluating guys at the NFL draft. But if you just look at the NFL stuff, say the hypothetical is they swap out both Hunter Henry and Kendrick Bourne, and they bring in two guys, say, like we mentioned, guys that they are mass lives reporting to keep an eye out for, Austin Hooper and Noah Brown, that's a downgrade. (laughs) That's a downgrade to your NFL receiving and weapons group, if you will, that wasn't great last year. Now, you can have internal improvement. Because I believe you're going to get that from Demario Douglas, right? He's going to be better next year than he was this year. But you also look at the reporting that Mass Live has. They're trying to shop Devontae Parker. I don't know what you're getting for him. Juju, they would shop him. But remember, he's not going to have much of a market because of his contract. But I can't imagine you get anything for Parker. He's in the last, excuse me, he's last in separation each of the last three years. He's entering his 31-year-old season. It's not going to get better He only averaged 30 yards per game last year. And the guy's not healthy. 10 games, 13 games, 13 games the past three seasons. You think anybody's giving up something significant for Devontae Parker? He's not that good of a player and he's not dependable. He's not great and he's not on on the field that much, right? So they better draft somebody that has an impact early on. And I'm saying in the second round now, because you look at it, Brian Thomas, Mitchell, the two guys from Texas, Mitchell and Worthy, they both ran... Incredible. Like Worthy set the record. He ran a 4-2-1. Mitchell ran a 4-3-4. He's considered to be the bigger prospect. And by the way, Thomas ran a 4-3-3. So you got a bunch of guys that are could be in that second round area. And maybe even a guy like Keon Coleman that didn't really help himself at the combine. That's another guy that could possibly fall into the second round. But this team has made it clear this offseason that they want to add weapons. They talked about weaponizing the offense. It just seems like the avenue to do that is in like the second round of the draft that they're not going to really be able to hit anything externally. If anything, they may lose better players that they had on their roster last year and bring in inferior players from other organizations. And Elliot Wolf keeps talking about this weaponizing the offense. I was excited when he said it, but now the more you look into sort of who's going to be on the market, it doesn't really feel like the Patriots are going to upgrade that group much, right? We're talking about your value system. You're referencing weapons if you're Elliot Wolf. This could, and I don't want to wish this on the Patriot fan base, this could have a Red Sox type feel, right? Where they're walking back the comments about burning cash. Drod Mayo's doing that. They talked about all this stuff that they were going to do. They were so excited for the offseason. 
full throttle. It's been really crickets. And obviously, the Patriots offseason is going to be, we're going to look at this more optimistically than we looked at the Red Sox thing, because you are going to get your quarterback, right? You're getting your quarterback of the future. So you're going to be excited about that. But I do look at this and say, hey, there's a chance that you could actually look worse in the receiving group next year if, of course, as we were talking about, that you have this situation where Kendrick Bourne and Hunter Henry out the door and you bring in inferior players to those guys. So I, I felt good about like some of the stuff that came out of the combine, but that's something that I was thinking, like, you know, that group could actually be worse. Uh, one Red Sox-related note, C.J. Crone, the signing became official. They were linked to him, and then on Friday they made the signing. If you go back to 2021, he was awesome. 30th in batting average, 281. On base percentage, 11 to 375, 530 slug, 19th, 905 OPS, 14th, 249 isolated power, 21st. That just tells you really that he had a lot of power, right? Because that's subtracting the slugging percentage from the batting average. He hit 57 home runs from 21 to 22. Numbers dipped a bit in 22, but he made the all-star team and he hit 29 home runs. So last year, the problem was he had a back injury. He only played in 71 games. If you look at 2021... He absolutely mashed lefties. 311, 393 on base, 583 slug, and a 977 OPS. Here's a concerning thing. In 2022, when he still had a decent season, the numbers against lefties, just 208, 274, 421, 695, which if he's going to be a guy that's on your bench, you want him to be able to hit lefties, right? And maybe they think, hey, he's going to be healthy and we're going to get better results out of him this upcoming season. Fine. But if you look at last year, Minimal plate appearances, two against lefties, just 69 because of the injury, 319 on base percentage. So he hasn't hit lefties since 2021, which is a little bit concerning here. So if he can get back to hitting lefties, maybe you use him essentially against a tough left-handed pitcher to give Casas a day off, right? I mean, you want Casas in the lineup every day. I'm just saying every once in a while, you know, they like to get the guys off their feet. Maybe once in a while you can let him DH when there's a tough lefty. You want to give Yoshida a day off, although he's not playing the field. I don't know how many days he is off. So it, it is interesting to me because he doesn't really have any versatility. He can really only play first base. And the guy that he's competing with for the job is Bobby Dahlback. Dahlback's entering, what, his 29-year-old season. So he's not, Dahlback's not a young guy. He's always going to be the king of spring training. He does, he has great spring trainings every year, but he's really never proven that he can be an everyday player. And he certainly wouldn't on this team. But Dahlback can play third and he can play first. So it's going to be interesting to sort of monitor this. I would not be upset if it's the end of the Bobby Dahlback era, but it'll be interesting to see what they do with CJ Crone because just from a fit perspective, it's not like this is a need. I'd like him to be able to get in there and hit lefties, but we'll see if that's the case. And then just real quickly on the Bruins, man. I mean, that was, they got absolutely smoked by the Islanders 5-1 on Saturday night. And now you look at the stretch coming up for them. They are playing Toronto on Monday. They are playing Edmonton on Tuesday, who, of course, they beat in Edmonton when they haven't been playing their best hockey. And then they play Toronto again on Thursday. So this is a very interesting stretch with the way they've been playing. And I was thinking about the trading deadline because it's coming up on the 8th, which is what, Friday. And you look at what Don Sweeney has done at these deadlines. He's been really aggressive. Last year, it was Bertuzzi. It was Orloff. It was Hathaway. And I get it. That was a historic team that you were going all in for. But think about the previous season. You went out and you got Lindholm. And look, that was not just for that season. That was for the future as well, right? Because you gave Lindholm an extension. But you've made big moves at the deadline. And you go back to 2021, Taylor Hall. So Don Sweeney 
his reputation has been, at least recently, that, hey, we're going to go out there and we're going to be aggressive at the trading deadline. The one question, and we've gone over this a little bit, is what are you trading, right? Because they don't have a first round pick, they don't have a second round pick, and they don't have a third round pick. So there's not really a lot that they sort of have to work with. So that's why like the only things that make sense or the only players that make sense to trade really, because they're not going to give up one of their top tier prospects, right? They're not giving up Patra. They're not giving up Lorai. They're not going to give one of those guys up. So if you look at it, does that mean that the trade is coming from somebody on the roster that's like a significant player? So we talked about Olmark last week. The Olmark thing is interesting because the reason this team has been so good over the past two years outside of the past, you know, couple of weeks post All-Star break is the goalie tandem. But here's a question, right? Like this team, we told you they're asset poor right now. So if you're going to not use the rotation, because remember last year, they didn't use the goalie rotation in the playoffs. They played Swain, or excuse me, they played Allmark, and then you didn't see Swayman until game seven, right? So that goalie rotation, they didn't use. Most teams are not going to use the goalie rotation, but you get the point. So they didn't use it. So what if this year and you're saying, well, hold on, we're trying to get better for this postseason run. If Olmark isn't going to play, right, because if you're just going to have Swayman start every game, well, he's not really giving you any value in the playoffs. So maybe Olmark is more of a consideration this year than he's been in previous years. The other guy that I would just mention here, and I briefly referenced him last week, what about DeBrusque? What are they going to do about DeBrusque? Because DeBrusque is in the final year of his contract. Obviously, the production has not been there. But if you go back, maybe a team convinced themselves that they can bring in DeBrusque and DeBrusque works with them. I mean, last year, DeBrusque was having the best season of his career. He only played, what, 64 games because he was dealing with the injury. And he had 27 goals. And look, I get you can say, well, yeah, Brian, he's playing with Bergeron and Marshawn on the first line. Well, that's the point. <laughs> it's like this guy can score goals. And this year, he's been asked to play like a little bit of a different role at times, especially at the beginning of the season. What if a team out there is looking at it's like, hold on, if we have a top tier center and we want to add Jake DeBrus, we think we can get more production like we saw when he was playing with the Bruins two years ago when it was with Bergeon, when it was with Marshawn. Maybe that's what the team looks at with DeBrus. Maybe they value him and they say, hey, maybe actually DeBrusque, having him have a fresh start with us, he'll actually be better. So I'm just like thinking about this trading deadline and what the Bruins have to trade. And that's why I just think of those two names because they don't have the draft picks. They're not going to trade their guys. They're not going to trade Potra, who could be, they hope, a top tier guy going forward for them into the future. And I know, he, of course, dealing with the surgery this year, but that's a guy that they have high hopes for now. Lorai is a guy they're going to have high hopes for with what he can bring to the table. So I just don't know any other way that they would add somebody significant. Now, maybe they just stay pat, right? But that isn't Don Sweeney's recent history. So it is going to be crazy to see if this week we start getting, hey, are they actually thinking about moving to Brass? Omar, because I don't really see anybody else on the roster that would sort of make sense for them to move, right? In terms of bringing something back of quality. Yeah, sure, you can move other guys, but you're not going to give up any of your top tier players, obviously, and you need to get something significant in return. So you kind of have to fit the middle ground. And that's why Omar and DeBrus would be the two guys that makes sense. Okay, coming up next, we'll bring in producer extraordinaire, Jamie McClellan. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. 
You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Welcome back into Off the Pike. Joining us now, producer extraordinaire Jamie McClellan. Jamie, what's going on, man? How are you? I'm great, Brian. Just want to say happy birthday to my guy, JT. And also very excited about the combine, <laughs> like you said. This is, uh, it's exciting when you have a top pick. You know, I'm definitely paying a bit more attention this year. Yeah, I know. I, I was a little thrown off by the whole Jaden Daniels thing. I wasn't surprised. I think we knew. I, I can't remember if I knew or not because I, I can't remember if it was announced. But I wasn't, like, surprised Saturday mm-hmm. when it's like he's not doing anything because usually the top-tier quarterbacks don't participate. I was kind of surprised. I was like, uh, he's not weighing in or anything along those lines. But I really liked what May had to like, May's whole weekend where he's talking to teams about Hey, I'm congratulating the new coaches. Yeah. He's getting, he's hooking up his linemen with NIL deals. I like it, man. I think we've maybe, and this tends to happen when we have so much time to talk about guys. Is maybe, maybe it's just an easy answer. Like if you're number two, take take Drake, man. That's where I sort of feel like this thing is falling. But I was kind of concerned about the one of the other things I was talking about, just in terms of, I don't know what they're going to do in terms of weaponizing the offense. We'll see if there's anything there. But the other thing is just with this Celtics team. Man, like, this weekend, you're saying, oh, they're coming up in this unbelievable tough stretch. They're still just, like, beating the shit. And look, the Dallas game was a good game. They took over Mm -hmm. in the fourth quarter. That was a good basketball game. This one was just like, oh, man. Like, the Warriors didn't even look like they belonged in the same court. And every once in a while, like, you're going to lose a game. You're going to get beat up. You're going to have bad shooting nights and all this. This wasn't a bad shooting night. They were just absolutely dominated. The Warriors couldn't score. It's not like they were getting good shots and missing them. They couldn't score. Yeah, I mean, you made a really good point about putting a big guy on uh, Curry, too. I mean, he looked completely flummoxed. He couldn't get anything to fall. And uh, I, I know they're not the same Warriors, I know, but you did mention they've had a good record. But it does feel like a pretty, like a nice symbolic win for the Celtics. Like, they've given us so much trouble. It feels like this is like the, the monkey off the back a bit. You know what I'm saying? And here we go. Off to the races for the rest of the season. Yeah, and they have all this time now down the stretch of the season mm-hmm. that if they want to rest guys, like rest. I'm sure Porzingis... Yeah, Porzingis could have played today, but it's like, hey, let's take it easy. Yeah, we contusion. know that. Yeah, we know what's important is the end of the season, getting Porzingis healthy so they can be strategic down the stretch of the season to see what they're able to do in terms of resting guys and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And it's not like they're chasing down a record. And I don't even know like, if NBA teams think about, hey, where can we finish in the top net rating teams of all time, right? That just may <laughs> be, some, be something nerdy for somebody like me, but... I do wonder like where they're going to get because they're going to, they have a chance to be like a top five all time net rating team, which is just ridiculous. Are they, is it out of the question, Brian, they get 70 wins this year? I mean, they've won 11 in a row, right? I, I guess it's going to depend on how much, (laughs) the way they're playing, maybe. Yeah. Like how much resting they do. Yeah. That could be something cool though. They haven't like their last loss was, that Thursday night bad loss to the Lakers where they didn't have Davis and mm-hmm. they didn't have LeBron in that game. That was on the 1st of February. And I get it, like weird. we've had an all-star break there. But they haven't lost in over a month. Their last loss is on February 1st. <laughs> and look, this is a difficult stretch, so maybe they drop some of these games. But I've said that before. 
Like, oh, they're going to have difficult games coming up, and then they just win them. I, I'm, like, the Phoenix thing now, I'm not impressed with Phoenix right now. And as we're recording, they're playing OKC later on tonight, so maybe they come away with a crazy win, and then when people hear this, they're like, oh, they just beat OKC. But Phoenix has not impressed me. Den uh, Denver's, like, that's the measuring stick game Thursday night. Yeah, that'll be good. That's what we're looking forward to. But, like, after that, it's Portland, Utah, and then you get Phoenix again that next Thursday. Yeah, Washington in there. You got Detroit in there. You're going to have a showdown with Milwaukee on the 20th. Detroit, Chicago, Atlanta, Atlanta without Trey. Like, there's a lot of bad teams still left in this schedule. You still get Charlotte again. Mm -hmm. You still have, you have to, both your Portland games, okay? You get Charlotte, Washington twice. Each of those teams you played twice. So who knows, man? We'll see how hard they push. I, I looked it up. I think they have to go 20, 20 and 2 to tie the 72 Celtics for most in franchise history. But. With that schedule you just laid out, it's not impossible, I don't think. But yeah, like you said, maybe it's not the wisest if you want to win the championship. Yeah, and I'm looking now to see. So apparently I'm looking at this right now. I was, I was trying to figure, because yeah. I referenced this earlier, like Draymond Green was just letting Jalen shoot. So Draymond said that the Warriors came up with their defensive game plan. This is from Bobby Manning from CLNS Media. Draymond mm -hmm. said the Warriors came up with their defensive game plan shortly before it started. Steph called it a joint decision between the coaches and team <laughs> leaders. And that it blew up and it impacted Golden State's offense. Joe Mazzullo was asked about the game plan, leaving Jalen Brown open. Quote, we were really grateful for that. I kept <laughs> saying thank you. <laughs> like, dude, this is, and that was crazy. It was like, crazy. I'm like, and I give Richard Jefferson credit because he, he pointed out on the broadcast too. But I'm watching and I'm like, what's going on? And then he got one like in the corner, which is... One of the most efficient shots in the NBA. Like, the most efficient shots are layups and corner threes. Okay? Mm -hmm. He didn't even challenge the shot. He just <laughs> let him shoot one from the corner. He was treating Draymond Green like other teams treat Draymond Green. Like, he, like that's how people defend Draymond. So, it was wild. So I get, they, they said it was a strategy. So, basically, yeah. their idea was... Like, I guess part of it, too, is they probably thought they could get in his head, right? Because they did that a couple of years ago in the finals. Right. I'm not saying this specific strategy, but that was, hey, let's sit on the left. And when he puts it down with his left, we're going to go after it, right? Like, they had something on Jalen. Yeah. This time, obviously, it's a different thing, but they must have thought they were going to get in his head. <laughs> Jalen's like, all right. And what ended up happening is he ended up getting in a rhythm because Jalen is, like, really streaky. Because when Jalen gets hot... He can go nuts. I mean, we've seen it multiple times in the playoffs. Like when Jalen gets hot, yeah. he doesn't miss. And then back-to-back -back possessions, he hits pull-up threes at the top of the key <laughs> because Jalen let him get in a rhythm. He basically had the first half of the first quarter as like he had another shooting session before the game. I, I, I couldn't <laughs> believe it. Like, it's not like, like, I get it. Jalen's the worst shooter in their starting lineup, right? Because, and Porzingis didn't play today. But if you're looking from a three-point percentage yeah, standpoint, Jalen's the worst guy. Worst guy. He's behind Derek White. Obviously, Drew Holiday It's <laughs> just insane. Behind Al. And who am I missing? Derek White, Al. Um, Tatum. But <laughs> this guy, you can't just let him shoot. I, I still can't believe that happened. I can't tell if it's like... Is it arrogant by the Warriors, or was it just out of desperation? Because like you said, they have so many weapons. Like, well, we can't cover everyone. I guess that's our best bet going against uh, Brown. But they haven't been watching him recently because he's been on fire. Yeah. Well, I think it's the latter because yeah. they said it was a defensive strategy. So they probably said, like, hey, if they're going to run all their stuff, like, they're going to get really good shots us. against us. Right. So let's try this. Like, let's try to junk this up. 
This is a David strategy, right? That's what they did. That was a David strategy. They said, because you can do that against, like, we see the Celtics do this with teams all the time that have, like, a horrible shooter. Yeah, they're, yeah <laughs> they, they do it at Draymond. They're like, hey, you, you, go ahead, stay out there, take all the... In fact, the Celtics did this in a game they lost, and they got burned on it. But I still contend it was the right thing yeah. to do. They did it to Josh Giddy when they played Oklahoma City. Remember that? Right. Yeah, And Giddy ended up hitting Maybe the threes. Game. The next game... I forget who it was, but I remember looking it up. I, somebody did the same thing to Giddy. He didn't hit any shots, right? So it's like, okay, Giddy has a reputation. He's not a, like he's a horrible shooter. So you can let Giddy shoot. Jalen, Jalen's not that. Like I'm not mm-hmm. saying he's an elite three point shooter. No, he's a exactly. good three point shooter. So I think that was the strategy. I think it really was. They said, hey, let's see if this can. Because obviously you wouldn't do that for the entirety of a series. Like if if they were playing in the finals, say, and. That was like their game plan. Like they were just trying to get away with something for a one game thing. But they say, hey, let's try this for a game because they're not going to have time to adjust to it. If like Jalen's not hitting it. Well, I mean, I guess it's easy. It's like he hits the shots or he doesn't. Right. But I don't know. That was crazy. Also, I, I'm, I'm so glad he hit the shots. And I love Missoula's quote. We were grateful for that. <laughs> yeah, I could see him saying that like very deadpan, you know, but it kind of reminds me of like the like the Patriots a bit. Like the Celtics are getting so good. They're like. Jedi mind tricking these teams into making these crazy decisions, you know, it's like, it's like they're so afraid of what we can do that they're doing all this like, you know, unorthodox uh, strategies that don't pay off half the time. Wild, man. Absolutely yeah. wild. All right, Jamie, uh, great stuff. We're going to talk with Matt Hamachek from yeah. the Dynasty coming up. We'll do that. We'll record that on Monday. So I saved my Dynasty thoughts for when we have the conversation with Matt. Uh, yeah, those are some uh, some juicy episodes. I, I took a sneak peek at the email box, Brian, and uh, some unhappy campers about that Hernandez-Belchick stuff. So lots to get into. Yes, yes. And we got to ask Matt about that. So I am excited to talk to Matt about that. So we'll have that up at some point on Monday. We'll record with Matt on Monday morning. Jamie, good stuff, man. Thank you, Brian. All right, as always, make sure to get your voicemails in 617-396-7172. Email your thoughts and questions as we'll get to some of your emails at offthepike at gmail.com in regards to the dynasty. So if you have thoughts, email us offthepike at gmail.com. Thanks to Jamie McClellan and Steve Sturdy for producing this podcast, and we'll chat in a couple of days.